Well, John, as you may know or not know, John is away this weekend. He's in Alabama with Steve Lawson at the Expository Preaching Conference, which he loves to go to every year. So we're blessed to be able to have him attend that. And so we're going to fill in in the meantime, do the best we can as we get to study the law. So we'll pray and then we'll get going. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your church that you purchased with your precious blood. God, we thank you that you drew each one of us here, first and foremost, into your family, into fellowship with with you, God, and then that you've drawn us here to learn, to grow. And I pray today, God, as your word goes forth, that you would have have it do its work in us, Lord, that you would change us, that you continue to form us, Lord, into the Son of your Jesus, into this, in the, the, the image of your, your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, as you continue to sanctify us through your word. We pray you bless uh, this morning, Lord, this teaching, that you would have me get out of the way, Lord, that your word would shine forth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the last, I think it's been 11 weeks, we've been studying the law. We have uh, uh, been studying the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. Today we're going to look at the law in general. What was its purpose? Has that purpose been satisfied? What did Jesus mean when he said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill them. The Pentateuch, which consists of the first five books of the Bible, was often referred to as the book of the law, or the law of Moses. The Hebrew word for Pentateuch is Torah, or the law. The Torah centered on God's instruction for his people. If you followed those instructions, you were blessed. If you did not follow those instructions, you were cursed. Deuteronomy 28, 1-2 says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all of his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all of his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So uh, the law was given so that they could remain pure. There were ceremonial laws. There were laws that had very specific instructions on how to properly make offerings. You had burnt offerings, cereal offerings, peace offerings, purification offerings, and reparation offerings. There were instructions on how to keep yourself clean from disease and discharge. There were laws having to do with practical holiness how to make sacrifices, how to behave sexually, how to be a good neighbor, what happens when a crime is committed, and how to celebrate the sabbatical and jubilee years. There were dietary laws, what told you what what you could eat and what you could not eat. Altogether, there were 681 different laws. So what was God's ultimate purpose in having the nation of Israel follow those commandments? They were to be a holy nation set apart 
before God. As it says in Leviticus 19, 1 and 2, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, Be holy, for the Lord your God, I am holy. So he wanted the nation of Israel to be set apart. He wanted them to be different than all the other nations. As nations were to look upon the nation of Israel, they were to see a chosen people, uh, a people whose God had, had no comparison. But the nation of Israel was unable to keep the laws. They were unable to heed God's instruction. They were unable to follow the commandments. And therefore, the, the cursings of Deuteronomy 28 fell upon them. So let's turn to Galatians 3.19. We'll read through 26. God knew that they wouldn't be able to keep the law, so why did he send the law in the first place? Galatians 3, 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. It is the law then is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith but now that faith has come we are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith amen to that so the law was conditional if you do this then I will bless you but the law could never give them life the law was never meant to save anybody by obeying the law, you could never secure righteousness for yourself. The law was there to check our transgression. The law was a measuring stick that had awakened a conviction of sin and guilt. The law also drove them to realize their need for a Savior, which is very important. The Bible says, for now we are justified by faith, and that is in faith in Christ alone. So that period known as the law and the prophets would come to an end with the advent of Christ. Matthew eleven thirteen says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And the John they're speaking of is John the Baptist as being the very last prophet. So all the prophets pointed forward to Christ. The law had run its course, preparing the way for a fuller fulfillment of the will of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He is that fuller revelation. With the coming of John the Baptist, the last and greatest prophet, that pointing forward is now complete. So let's turn to Matthew 5, and we'll read from verse 17. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, for I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, nor a dot, 
will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So you could almost rephrase that, that far from wanting to set aside the law, Jesus uh, knew that it was his role to fulfill the law. And in fact, in his presence, the law and the prophets were fulfilled. So as we learned from studying the Sermon on the Mount last year, Jesus brings radical new teaching to his followers. They have never heard teaching like this before. In fact, they say you teach as one having authority, not like our teachers of the law. And he repeatedly says, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. Jesus comes to make, and make clear what the original intent of the law was. He goes beyond that which they interpreted the law to mean to explain what God had originally intended. He was not looking for mere moral reform, but he was looking for a change of heart. The punishment for not being obedient to the law of Moses was temporal, but the punishment for not believing what Jesus was teaching was death, and the punishment is eternal and final. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians 3, and we'll start in verse 1. So the teachings of Jesus are to be followed by faith and obedience, and that law that was once written on tablets is now written on our hearts. So we'll read from 2 Corinthians 3, 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the spirit have even more glory. For if there was a glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has now come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when, when, but when one turns to the Lord, that veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, 
And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the, by, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So in the Old Testament, they, they were veiled. They were veiled to see the glory of the Lord. Jesus now has lifted that veil. He gives us ears to hear for the first time and eyes to see. We now have the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin. He guides us into all truth. He empowers us to believe and obey by faith. So we no longer have to try to conform in our flesh to the law and its regulations. The law of Christ goes much deeper, but he enables us to, to uh, obey. We are able to obey because God has changed our hearts. He has taken away our hearts of stone, and he has given us hearts of flesh. Hearts of stone are hard. They're unpliable. They're unpenetrable. They're unchangeable, but hearts of flesh are, are soft. They're pliable. They're penetrable. They're changeable. And Christ alone is able to speak to us because our hearts have been changed. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, but this covenant that I will make with them, the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts, I will be their God, and they shall be my people." And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. So that is a great promise. That is the promise of the new covenant that Jesus brought. So God changes the nature of the covenant as he changes the nature of his people. As believers, he fills us with his Holy Spirit and he enables us to be obedient, which is a byproduct of our regeneration. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Let's start in verse 1. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it could never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscience of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said the above, you have neither, neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that, 
will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So there's, there's the new covenant again that we have. The old covenant was merely a shadow of the things that were to come. If that old system of worship and sacrifice worked, then the temple would have never been destroyed in 70 A.D., but God wiped that out because he wanted to provide a better way. He wanted to let them know that that end, had, that, that form of worship had come to an end. So today, for the believer, the old covenant has made way for the new covenant because Jesus says, I bring you a better way. The old covenant could never bring those who worship under it into a state of perfection. And Jesus required a righteousness that exceeded that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And it is the imputed righteousness of Christ that justifies us in the eyes of God. And we've been studying that for the last few weeks as we've been going through Romans. In Psalm 51.10, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. So David understood this, that he knew that when he sinned, and this comes out of Psalm 51, that he was sinning against God. He knew that mere sacrifice of of things wasn't going to cover his sin. He knew that it was only uh, God that could forgive him. And they looked forward to that sacrifice of, of Christ that was to come. So wholehearted obedience is a sacrifice that Christ requires of us. Jesus fulfilled the law in his perfect and complete obedience. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-five. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So you can see there that God is he's doing the work. He's, he's changing our heart. He's causing us to walk. He's, he's giving us the ability to walk. In his, um, in his commandments. It, it's, it's all the Lord here. And in the new covenant, uh, we can see that God is, has done the work. He not only shows us the way, but he inclines us to walk that way. And he gives us his Holy Spirit that enables us to walk that way and fills us with all wisdom. Let's turn to Matthew 19, and we'll start in verse 16. This is the story of the the rich young man. And this is right after Jesus had had a discussion with the the Sadducees. And so the the Pharisees wanted to get in on this, and they thought they had Jesus at a a good point here. And as you know, they're always trying to trick him into giving the wrong answer. but, But obviously he sees their hearts. He sees what they're up to. So in Matthew 19, he says, And behold, a man came up to me saying, Teacher, 
what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So here was a man who grew up knowing the commandments, keeping the commandments to the best of his ability. Um, but what's interesting here is he knew that there was something more than that. Because um, after Jesus told him to keep those certain commandments, he said, I've kept them, but I I, I know there's something that I'm still lacking. He, uh, Jesus replied with, with half of the ten, ten Commandments, which relate to our outward behavior relating to, to man. So there is more to obedience than keeping, um, can, you know, being moral, uh, to moral living. Um, Jesus points out to him that um, if you would be perfect, you need to go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then you'll have your treasure in heaven and then follow me. This was a man who, who most likely was giving to the poor but probably giving to the poor out of his abundance and not so much out of his lack. And a lot of us do that. A lot of us will, will help out of our abundance. We'll, we'll go ahead and um, do what we think we need to do to to kind of, kind of be good in the eyes of God. But Jesus is calling him to a different kind of obedience. He says that if you want to follow me, you're going to have to give up everything. I can see the, the minds of the disciples here probably thinking, hey, this is a, this would be a nice guy to have in the church here. He's wealthy. He's a young man. He has some influence. What are you doing? You know, how, come you're, how come you're putting this on here? But and even the disciples didn't always understand exactly what Jesus was trying to convey as he was teaching. But what he's trying to tell them is you need to, you need to give it all up. Now, it doesn't mean we're supposed to sell all of our possessions and, and move out of our houses and, and live in a commune together. But he wants all of us. He wants, he wants every bit of us. He wants us to, to make him Lord of our lives. If we're not ready to, to surrender it all to the Lord... Then, then we have to search our hearts. The man, the young man, valued his possessions more than the eternal life that he was that he was seeking. In Matthew thirteen verse forty five, it says, "The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had, and he bought that pearl." So that's what the kingdom of heaven should be to us. It should be our everything. It should take priority in all of our life. It should be the thing that occupies our minds when we get up, when we go to bed, as we walk around during the day. Um, we should be thinking upon the, the things of the Lord. 
it's not to say that you know we're not going to be able to do anything else, but it should be. It should take precedence. It should be our priority. So the kingdom of heaven is not about following a bunch of laws. It's not about making the right animal sacrifices. It doesn't consist in, in what you eat or even how you look, what you put on. But the kingdom of God is a lifestyle that's directed by the Holy Spirit as we humbly um, submit our will to his. Micah 6, verse 6 says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So he sums it up by saying it's not about all these things. It never has been. But he wants us to walk with him. He's, he's not, he's not going to be pleased with anything else. We can make every sacrifice that we can think of. But unless we're walking with him in humble obedience, he's not going to be pleased. He wants to be the Lord of our lives. Please turn to Matthew chapter 22. So again, at the very end of uh, Jesus' earthly ministry, there was um, a, a gathering of some, some Pharisees, and they, one of them was a lawyer. And in Matthew twenty two thirty five, 35, it says, uh, a lawyer asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the Lord, of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And his second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. So there was a common discussion among the Pharisees. They spent a lot of time trying to figure out which commandments were the most important. Because if they could figure that out, then they could figure out what they needed to do and what they really didn't need to do. They um, basically, what is the minimum I need to do to get by, uh, to appease God? And they asked Jesus, if you were to choose one commandment out of all these 600 plus commandments, what would it be? And the, their attention was to gain favor from some while alienating others. They, uh, they wanted to get a better understanding from him of, of what he meant by not abolishing the law. So his response, uh, he put the focus on love rather than mere obedience to regulation. He quoted a scripture that they all knew, and that was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. They, they knew that. That was, that was a very important scripture to them. But then he also adds, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you love God, you're going to fulfill all of the commandments that relate to him 
And if you love your neighbor, you're also going to fulfill all the commandments that live to, to others as you interact with them. You're not going to murder. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to covet. You're not going to lie. You're not going to steal if we truly love one another. So he wanted to um, show them that duty needs to be focused outside of yourself. It's not all about you. It's about others. And to understand, um, to love one another, we, we don't have any problem loving ourselves. It, it comes naturally to us. But to love one another actually takes sacrifice. He also wants to make, make it clear that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And that's what he ends with here. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So instead of, the, instead of making the law irrelevant, he is saying in order to obey it, you need to know what it means to love. It is through the lens of love that the law is interpreted. So to sum it up, the, the Jews were given the law to set them apart from the rest of the nations. As it says in Leviticus 19, 1 and 2, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. The other nations were to look at the nation of Israel and see them as different and see them as um, something special, that their God was superior to all the other gods that, that they were worshiping. They were to be that, they were to bring God glory in, in their lifestyle, in, in everything that they did. The law also was a measuring stick that exposed our sin and our, and our dire need for a Savior. Galatians 3, 24 to 26 said, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Jesus Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. So the law made it very apparent where, the, where they were lacking. And the law exposed their sin and their need for a Savior. Without the law, they would have thought that they, they were fine. They were fine. They could do whatever they wanted to in their own eyes. But that was not the case, even though they eventually did that. Number three, the law was never meant to save us. That was not the intention of the law. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of work, so that no one may boast. If you had the law and you were able to obey it as some people still try to do and as the the young man tried to do then you would think that you maybe had something to do with your righteousness but jesus came to make make it very clear that that is not the case it's not by what we do it's not by um uh, it, it's it's a a measure of our um our obedience and our submission to christ as he uh, changes our hearts and makes us uh, new creatures that are only able to follow his commands because he empowers us by his Holy Spirit. So it, was, it, is, it is not the law. It was not the law that saved them. And the, number four, the law is summed up by loving God and loving our neighbor 
which is the natural outworking of a transformed life. So if we're transformed, if we're regenerated, we're going to love God. We're going to love our neighbor. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be something that we're going to want to do. It's, a, it's the fruit. It's the fruit of a regenerated life. Matthew twenty two thirty seven says, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And number five, we love God as we make him Lord of our lives in humble submission as he leads us daily by his Holy Spirit. And again, as Micah said, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So the Bible does say that we are to love the law. We are to love the word of God. It's not that we throw the law out, but thank God that Jesus came, fulfilled the law completely, and it's in Christ that we're able to have that perfect obedience, that righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, a righteousness that, that comes not by obeying these commandments, but by, uh, but by uh, total submission to the Lord as we, uh, we know we are in and of ourselves, we are, we are not, not able to even seek after him. So we believe by faith, we walk by faith, as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live this Christian life. So next week, we're going to talk about grace, and then we're going to, we'll wrap up this first session here. So let's close in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your law. We thank you for the work that it has done in our lives as it has exposed our sin and our need for a Savior Lord, we thank you that you came and you fulfilled the law, that you gave yourself, Lord, that you became the perfect sacrifice as you um, gave your life, spilled your blood so that we might have life, that we in turn, you have taken upon yourself our sin as you have given us your righteousness, Lord. We thank you, God, for your word that continues to um, guide us and change us. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit that continues to empower us, Lord. And we pray you bless the remainder of this, this Lord's Day, Lord, as we uh, continue to worship your holy name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I got you guys out early. <laughs>